The only other thing, is there any water I can get from somewhere? Yeah. I know where the secret I water cabinet is. Please Don't tell me. anybody. I will not. I will yeah. not even follow like you to <laughs> see it. I am like thirsty. Like, <gasps> We're out of secret water. Hey folks, uh, welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues in public PK-12 education. Today we're checking in with our professional development for success in culturally diverse schools study. We love long titles for studies. <laughs> it's a Merck research project launched in late 2016 based on a recognition that our schools are growing increasingly diverse and that thoughtful professional development can help prepare educators for the challenges and opportunities that this presents. Uh, to learn more about the broader study, you could check out the Merck website and listen to a previous episode of Abstract from last May with members of this research and study team. Uh, today, we're catching up with two teachers conducting action research related to cultural diversity in their classrooms as a part of this study, along with other members of the research and study team. Uh, if you are curious about learning more about action research, uh, you could check out other previous episode of Abstract last April featuring a conversation with members of the Teacher Action Research Initiative um, and listen to individual profiles of their projects on our website. The great teachers that we have with us today have also been engaged in fascinating research studies at their schools, and we have a lot of things in store to showcase their work. More on that later in the episode. Uh, let me introduce you to them now so you can learn all about the interesting things that they've been up to in their school divisions. So with us today, we have Salita Wilson. She's a special education teacher at Henry Clay Elementary School in Hanover County Public Schools. Uh, her study focuses on addressing misconceptions about the abilities of young children with special needs among general education teachers. Salita, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Cindy Sananian is a language arts teacher at Chickahominy Middle School in Hanover County Public Schools. So Hanover is well represented today. Uh, her study focuses on deepening students' sense of connection to the classroom through curricular inclusion of culturally diverse topics and authors. Cindy, welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you. Uh, Jenny Smith, who is no stranger to action research and a veteran of this podcast, Jenny helps facilitate this awesome cohort of action research projects. She's an English teacher at Cuyacuson Middle School in Henrico County Public Schools. Jenny, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to have you. Uh, Hillary Parkhouse is an assistant professor in teaching and learning in the VCU School of Education. She serves as one of the principal investigators on this study. Uh, Julie Gerleski is the other principal investigator, and she joins us for our last conversation with the study team, but we are really grateful to have Hillary with us here today. Hillary, welcome. Thank you. Um, and of course, Jesse Seneschal is the director of Merck and is a co-principal investigator on this study and certainly a veteran of this podcast. Jesse, welcome back. Thanks. It's been a while since we've had you on here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my name is David Knapp. I'm the Assistant Director of Research and Evaluation for Merck, and I am the host of this podcast. We have a lot to talk about today. Let's get right into this. Um, so, Lita, why don't you kick us off? What does diversity look like in our schools today? Well, um, in my school in particular, um, we are pre-K through second um, grade school, and diversity is... You know, we, we can talk about diversity in terms of ethnicity and race, um, where we have 50% of um, white students, 25% um, 
African-American students, 15% um, Hispanic, and then um, we just have a mix of others for the remaining. remaining. Um, but diversity for us, especially for me, looking um, at this action research program, um, I like to think about diversity in terms of the abilities mm -hmm. of the students in, in our um, school um, and looking at the school as a whole, mm -hmm. um, just thinking about the abilities um, of the students. And we, we have a very diverse population in terms of um, just all of the students coming in through the front door every day. But when we are looking at diversity, I think the, the school makeup as a whole um, is just you know, diverse. Um, in, in my school, I'm in the, in the same county but a different quarter and mm -hmm. it looks a lot different. Um, I teach at the middle school, Chicago Middle School, and it is uh, six through eight. And we have about 1,200 students and 86% of them are um, identified as white mm -hmm. and 7% black, 3%, around 3% Hispanic and 2% Asian. And, um, and I think that's reflected a similar line in the high school as well. And um, one of the reasons that I'm here is that in the first weeks of school, and, and over the, I've been there for um, 13, 12 years, something like that, that, um, that I have noticed that, that we're getting a more diverse population of students. And for the first time, when I walked in at the beginning of the school year, there, were, there was pretty much no diversity in the mm -hmm. teachers. And so that's kind of how I ended up involved, because I just wondered what that would be like for the, the students that I had, the children of color that were in the class, that would be in the classroom. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point, though. Like when we have this question, what does diversity look like in our schools, there's the question that one way of addressing that is looking at student population, but also the teacher force, and that's, mm -hmm. what this, that's sort of the heart of this study, um, as the schools are, are, are changing rapidly, if, if the teaching force does not reflect that diversity, what are the challenges that kind of, you know, um, uh, connect to that? Um, and I think one, one thing that we did early on in this study, and, and Hillary, you can speak to this also, is, is try to define cultural diversity. And I, um, there were some points that we were trying to make about it. You know, one, that it's not just about race, um, and the ability is one thing that I think people don't often think about, but mm -hmm. is really critical. Um, we also think about socioeconomics, um, but at, at the heart, it, it seemed like our definition was getting at this idea that diversity is about like sort of um, you know observable differences between groups of people, but it also is really connected to issues of power. Mm. And when certain when those differences are, are used to sort of uh, to sort of privilege one group over another, then we really get into challenges. And that happens with racial ethnic groups. Mm. It happens socioeconomically. It happens with ability groups. Um, and so we're we're trying to think about how can we teach in ways that not just accept diversity, but also kind of directly address the issues of power and try to create more equitable schools. Yeah, I think our action researchers have done a really nice job of thinking about cultural diversity and the ways that we as the research team were kind of talking about them before starting the action research project because we did think about that power piece that doesn't always get included in studies of, let's say, professional development on cultural diversity might be about like developing cultural competence, which mm -hmm. is a sort of knowledge of different cultures, but not really that equity piece. But all 
eight of the action researchers are really focused on the equity and recognizing power imbalances. So diversity can be defined in a lot of different ways, and I think that this study's kind of taken a broad approach to understanding what, um, with, with our schools rapidly becoming more culturally diverse, how do we respond to that? So Jesse, why don't you give us a little bit of background on this study, how did it start, um, and how does the action <clears throat> component fit into this? Right. So um, in your intro, you gave a little bit of a, a sort of like the, the premise that underlies this larger study, the Professional Development for Success in Culturally Diverse Schools, a very long title. Um, and the idea is that, you know, we have um, a, a rapidly diversifying region. Uh, and this is happening in a, in a, um, a number of ways and um, where there used to be a big divide between, you know, the students that went to the city schools and then the suburbs. Now suburbs are starting to get more diverse. And some of this has to do with um, sort of uh, movements and in, in populations um, from like uh, move, movement of poverty from the city into some of the uh, inner ring suburbs. Um, there's also quite a bit of um, uh, immigration that's going on, uh, you know, from uh, Central America and also East Asia that is uh, making uh, Chesterfield and Henrico schools look very different than they did 10 years ago. And so we've been doing, so part of the project, one of the, we have sort of three big components of the project, the action research being one. But one of the projects is sort of to map that out. And David, you've been working on those maps. Mm -hmm. They'll be, you know, maybe when this comes out, they'll be they'll be up on our website. And I think they're going to be a real strong resource for the um, for the region, for the schools to kind of identify what the patterns are, why those patterns exist, um, and uh, a real way of thinking like where might there be need for professional development if this is a community that that's uh, you know that used to be ten years ago was. Um, the schools were 90% African American and now they're 90% Latino. That has serious implications for the way the curriculum looks, for the, the types of training teachers need, for all sorts of things. And so that could be a way of school leaders, um, you know, directing those services. We're also trying to get an understanding in this um, <clears throat> this component of like what is the landscape of professional development? What are the different um, types of professional development experiences that teachers have to help them um, address? Uh, some of the what happens at the school when it when it's uh, when it's diverse, um, and what we found is that there there's not a lot out there that it's uh, and it tends to fall into two, two categories. One is sort of programs that people opt into. For example, this is a PD program, but you were all kind of willing, like I want to be part of this program. I'm interested in cultural diversity, and so I want to kind of develop that part of myself as a teacher. Um, and then on the other end are ones that sort of are related to. Um, trouble that schools get into or, or sort of like a remediation types of programs where there might be an incident in a school and then all of a sudden they bring in a community partner like Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities and say, you know, we want you all to work with our staff to build cultural competence, something like that. But what, what doesn't exist is sort of like a comprehensive plan for all teachers thinking about how can we all think about all the dimensions of our work through a lens of cultural diversity mm -hmm. and what it means, how that might affect our practice. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to get an assessment of the, the PD landscape so that when we make recommendations, we can talk about you know, um, building programs in certain regards. The other piece we're gonna do um, that's gonna be um, rolled out in the fall is a survey um, that's gonna go out, hopefully, if, if everything works out, to all the schools, to all the personnel in all the schools that will get an assessment from um, the school level about what cultural diversity looks like, what are the opportunities and the challenges, and um, how it really looks different community by community. I mean, school by school, it looks very different. Schools are, you know, have different sort of student populations, have different teacher populations, and there could be different sort of school level and community level, either um, 
you know, opportunities or constraints on what's possible. And so we're gonna try to get an assessment of that. And then the action research piece is the third part. And that this was really inspired, um, well, I mean, I, honestly, I, I'd been doing some action research prior with a, a number of cohorts, and I just think it's really exciting and fun and great PD, but it, mm -hmm. um, it was really about the fact that we had a study team that's an awesome study team, but didn't have any teachers on it. Mm -hmm. And when you do a study of professional development and you don't have any teacher voices around the table, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so um, the action research was a way of kind of getting some teacher voices involved in the conversation, and, and we'll be sharing some of our findings out and um, kind of experimenting with a PD, like both investigating the topic, but also experimenting with a PD form, which is action research, real reflective practice, mm -hmm. and hoping that we can kind of model what good PD would look like um, for, uh, as part of our recommendations, mm -hmm. so. And Jesse, could you talk quickly, you've mentioned, and Hillary, you mentioned this too, that, that we have research and study teams. Uh, oh, yeah. So what's the difference between research and a study team? Uh, yeah, so the research team is, um, Basically, I see it sort of as the VCU folks, <laughs> and so that would be the, um, the faculty members. So we have four faculty members, Julie and Hillary, <laughs> and me, mm -hmm. um, but then we also have some other folks that have joined. So David, you've been doing some work for it. Mm -hmm. I consider you a co-PI. <laughs> and then we also have um, from, we've been um, approached by uh, Fantasy Lozada, who's from the uh, Department of Psychology, mm -hmm. and she's been coming to our research teams. Um, and that's been great, and she's helped uh, co-write a, a grant application with us. Um, and uh, so that's exciting. Then we also have two doctoral students that are working with us. And those, that, that's the research team. And these are, and then uh, Laura Falcon, who was on our study team, but then jumped onto our research team. I guess basically the research team meets more often and does more work. But the study team kind of uh, has a monthly, every six week type of meetings. And generally what I see with the study team is there enough, it's an opportunity for us to bring what we're working on from the research team to them and then they peer review it. Mm -hmm. They vet it. They say, from our district perspective, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense. Um, it's a way of kind of getting some feedback along the way. Mm -hmm. in certain, on certain studies we've done, we've also had um, our study team engage in some of the data collection work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really exciting and a good PD opportunity for folks as well. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it, it, the study teams are real great community building, um, networking, um, just I opportunities to really get ideas about the topic. I think these are all people on our study teams that are professionals, leaders in the schools, both at the central office and the school, the school level, and I think they really benefit from thinking deeply about topics mm -hmm. with other people that are really smart and have a lot of different experiences, and so that creates a space for that. Yeah, and yeah. so we're bringing in division-level perspective, too, and so that we believe that that strengthens the research whenever you have folks from the divisions that are actually contributing to the research study. Like you mentioned, we, we know the data on our schools diversifying, but I mean, what Salida and Cindy have already talked about, we, this way we get to know like, what it actually looks like in the school division. So you get it from the kind of broader perspective, but also from that division level perspective, which is great. If you're interested in learning more about the overall background of the study, go back about a year to another episode of Abstract where we had the study team here. We were talking about the background for this. There's more to explore there. We're here to talk about the action research phase of this today. Jenny, you're a veteran of action research in here. Talk about what action research is. Um, yeah, so I think teachers are naturally um, reflective. It's a huge part of our job, but I think of teacher action research as kind of like taking the natural reflective stance of teachers and kicking it up a notch. Mm -hmm. um, so in action research, teachers sort of become researchers in their own school, school settings. Um, they start by identifying a problem. Um, in this particular cohort, all the problems have something to do with diversity. Um, 
So as they kind of explore the problem and think about possible solutions or possible ways of thinking about the problem differently, they become researchers in that they define a question um, and then begin to explore that question, whether it's taking an intervention to possibly solve the problem or trying to learn more about the problem um, or, or other ways of answering the question. Teachers collect data um, through interviews or other classroom interventions, other um, ways of engaging with their school communities, analyze that data and think about what that's taught them about the question that they have and kind of continue to take steps from there. Um, I think one of the things that I always like to say is really, really the most important thing about action research is that um, it is one of the only opportunities in my professional career um, that I had the opportunity to drive my own professional development. Mm. Um, and I think that's really the most powerful thing about action research is that teachers get to figure out what is the thing that I want to do better? What is the thing that I want to learn more about? What is the thing that I believe from my vantage point in the classroom is the most important for my classroom or my school community? Mm. Um, it's also a really powerful opportunity um, for collaboration, for hearing from other teachers, but also for teachers to um, produce knowledge rather than just like receiving researching knowledge, but for, for teachers to actually get to contribute to like the professional body of knowledge about classroom practices, mm -hmm. um, which despite all that we know, we don't get to do enough of. Uh, that's my plug for action yeah. research. And I think in this project, as Jesse was alluding to, it's really, it's been really powerful that we've all had questions, that the teachers all had questions that were connected in really deep ways, which I think, I think strengthen the learning um, across classrooms. Yeah. So. And you've been involved in this in a lot of different levels because you were an action researcher. Was, yes. And then you helped lead a previous cohort of action researchers and here you are again. What keeps you coming back to this? I, I, that I wish that this happened all the time and in mm -hmm. all schools and that this was like the cornerstone. I wish that every, <laughs> I wish that every school district had like a, an official program of action research because I think it is absolutely one of the ways that we become better at teaching. Um, and I think it just has a lot of power. Mm -hmm. So... What encouraged you guys to go for this opportunity to participate this way? I was approached um, about doing the Merck program, and at first I was a little apprehensive, like, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I think all too often students with special needs are kind of overlooked. Mm. And when it was like, you can talk about anything you want, dealing with cultural diversity. And I said, this is my opportunity to talk about my babies <laughs> and um, kind of shed some light on them and bring this to the forefront. Because um, I, I just, they, my students and uh, Jenny and I, we, we've talked over you know the past couple of months about my students, my students, they're everything to me and so I want others to see just how much they're capable of hmm. and how much um, they can actually bring to the table and so when I was you know approached and said you know you can look at this from any lens you want I felt like that was my opportunity to just bring you know some light to, hmm. to my my little guys mm -hmm. so I was excited to do it are you in, are you saying that you can engage in advocacy work through research? Oh, yes, <laughs> very much that. so. <laughs> Cindy, how about you? Um, I came into it. I I think the political climate kind of woke me up a lot, mm. and um, I, I became involved in in several groups that are working towards social justice. And walking into my building to and actually look, thinking about social justice about diverse populations that might be you know, experiencing a good bit of trauma at the moment, but also thinking about um, young people 
that I saw with such strong opinions um, that I just I was just kind of stunned. And so I, I began to think of it kind of as a two-part situation. Like you have diverse groups that maybe their needs aren't being met, but you also have this population of, of, of white people that are um, not necessarily, I don't want to say growing, but not necessarily um, aware of some of the issues um, or, and certainly not connecting. And so anyhow, kind of going from a busy summer of those kind of things into my school just to notice you know, we don't have diversity in our teaching staff. And I know that we do in our, in our population of mm -hmm. students. And, and what would that feel like mm -hmm. to be a child and to go an entire day and never see another person of color as a teacher or as an administrator or as a librarian mm -hmm. and, you know, with what that would feel like. And so um, I wanted to, I know that 80%, something like that, of the, of the teaching for it, Force is white, it tends mm -hmm. to be white female, and um, rather than just quit, <laughs> because I do have good experience as a teacher, I thought that I could learn some things to put into place that would make me a much better teacher for mm -hmm. all of the students in my classroom, mm -hmm. because there seemed to be um, something more that could happen. Mm -hmm. And so my principal told me that he knew about this and I should apply. It's always so great to hear about why people get involved mm -hmm. in this kind of work. And as Jenny mentioned, the teachers generally are very reflective about their own work and their own practice. So this, this type of research is just such a great opportunity to engage in something that teachers are already kind of instinctively doing and reflecting on what they're doing in the classroom. Um, and I remember when we did an episode before on action research, what came out of it is just that teachers know what they're talking about and we should listen to what teachers have to say more. We have a lot to learn from you. Um, Hillary, let's get uh, your perspective on this as a principal investigator for this day. So how are we thinking about the relationship between cultural diversity and the work of school-based professionals like teachers, administrators? Is this just work that happens in the classroom, or are there other ways that teachers address diversity? I'm really glad you asked this question, because for me, this has been the most interesting part of being a part of this project. Um, we, as the research team, when we started designing the action research component and creating the application, um, we're really thinking in the framework of culturally relevant pedagogy, which is a concept that's pretty popular in education and um, was developed by Gloria Ladson Billings in the 90s. Um, and the idea behind culturally relevant pedagogy is um, that teachers really need to affirm um, the cultural identities of students, especially of non-dominant groups, and also um, develop their critical consciousness of inequities within schools and other institutions. Um, so it's sort of, it's more of a theoretical stance towards education than a set of practices, but it is, you do think about it in terms of teachers and their students, not so much in a whole school setting. But once we um, started working with the action researchers, we saw that they were thinking about um, cultural diversity on kind of a bigger scale, uh, looking at equity across their whole schools or even school divisions or the whole community. So for example, one of the action researchers is looking at the processes through which students get identified and referred for evaluation for gifted and talented programs mm. and how that process looks different depending on the student's racial or socioeconomic background. Um, and so, you know, that's part of culturally relevant pedagogy, but kind of goes beyond it to look at the processes that are in place across whole school divisions. Mm. Um, 
And as Salida mentioned, you know, hers is also kind of looking at the whole school uh, perceptions and misperceptions of students with disabilities. So um, we realized we kind of needed a different framework for thinking about cultural diversity. The culture relevant pedagogy didn't quite go far enough. So we looked back at an earlier model of multicultural education from James Banks that included as one of its five components an empowering school culture. Um, and so we, we still think culturally relevant pedagogy is hugely important, but um, the more we're talking with teachers and looking at the literature, it seems like you really have to focus at the whole school or even whole school division. So I think this project's really contributing um, to that kind of argument about approaching equity. And I, I, think, I think it also um, speaks to the fact that teachers' professional work should in, involve engagement with those different levels. Teachers, mm -hmm. teachers are professionals not just in their classroom, but also with, as um, within the cultures of their schools, with their colleagues, mm -hmm. in conversation with administration, and in conversation with the system. And I think we tend to undervalue. And you know, obviously, I think if teachers tend to be, their voices tend to be undervalued in those conversations. And this is an opportunity to kind of say. I mean, actual research is an opportunity to say, like, well, teachers' perspectives are really important to inform these policy decisions and sort of at the school level and the district level. Mm -hmm. But that um, that that should be teachers' work, you know. And uh, and um, the fact that the teachers naturally took on these topics are they're, they're saying, well, these these are the things that are constraining my ability to do my, what I need to do in my classroom and you know, sort of to, to, to be in the type of school I want to be in. So mm -hmm. it's um, I think that's an exciting part of this project too. Yeah, so it sounds like there's been recognition that cultural diversity is something we need to be attending to in schools, but this is something that's evolving so much that we have to constantly be rethinking about like, how we even define the word. Um, Jenny, one of the great things about Merck School Divisions is that we're so diverse and we have so many different types of like communities that are represented. So uh, tell us, how does cultural diversity work differently across school and community settings? Um, I mean, it's... So diverse, it's, it's, that's almost hard to answer because it's, it's so big. Um, I mean, the schools themselves are so different um, and every school exists within a community that's really different. And so um, what each school needs, uh, what, it, what the staff needs, what the students need around solving the problems and challenges as well as the, uh, really celebrating the, the benefits of a diverse school just really varies from school to school. I mean, I know where I, where I teach, we have a huge population of English language learners. Other schools don't um, and then even and what that even means is, you know, varies from school to school. Is it just an issue of language, but is it also about, you know, these children's previous experiences with school or ways of interacting with adults? I mean, there's so many ways in which what happens at one school is so different from what happens with another school. And I think the, the variation in the projects that these teachers designed for this, this project really reveal um, how specific context, how important context is and mm -hmm. kind of thinking about um, how cultural diversity works across different schools. And frankly, even age, the age of students, I think, matters a lot. Um, when you think about what, what, what are the right interventions for schools to take or what kind of professional development do teachers need, we know that what, you know, what pre-K through two students are able to think about and talk about mm -hmm. is different from what middle school students are ready to think about and talk about. And I think a lot of that also has a, some powerful impact when we think about how to train teachers to do this better. There's just such a huge range. There's such a huge... Mm -hmm. <laughs> these schools are so different. For our um, Achieving Racial Equity in School Disciplinary Policies and Practices study, we've been in schools and we, we selected schools across different divisions with the intent of being able to get sort of like a cross perspective because our school divisions are so different. 
Um, and one of the questions that we ask students and different stakeholders in the schools, do you consider your school to be diverse? And the schools that we selected for that study have pretty different student bodies intentionally. That's how they were selected. But across almost all those schools, people tend to say, like, yeah, I do think that my school's diverse. And I think it's because they maybe have different perceptions mm -hmm. of what that means. Um, so like a diverse school in um, Henrico, where you work, might look different than a diverse sure. school in mm -hmm. Hanover County, where you guys work. Well, I think we even have a, a researcher, a teacher researcher that was part of this group who's who at face value, her school might be more homogenous, but, mm. but kind of even breaking that up, and it's not. It's not actually. These students have a huge range of experiences, despite, despite the fact that like if you just look at them, they might not have as many observable differences, but there is still an awful lot of diversity within a population that might initially appear otherwise. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm thinking about, and this is kind of a tangent to this question, but is like, what are real challenges with this? And I think one of our real challenges is that well, one thing is to kind of get out of like the it's that diversity is a challenge. That diversity is also an opportunity. I think that's mm -hmm. a huge mindset shift mm -hmm. that that I think is really one way that we need to that we really need to drive home through all the work we do is that look at our school has a lot of English learners now. That is a huge opportunity. We have language diversity we didn't have before. How can we really make this a strength of our school? Mm -hmm. so that's something. But it also gets to this point that like the work that we're going to need to sort of transform. The, the sort of the quality of the education that happens in schools related to, to cultural difference within our schools is really a mindset shift that needs to happen among the professionals in that space. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's about coming to some, coming into some conversations that allow us to kind of adopt similar frameworks for thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That, for example, that diversity is an opportunity. And, and I think um, when I saw that question, uh, thinking about how cultural diversity worked differently in my school, mm -hmm. and I was a little bit surprised. One of the one of the studies that I did was I had pictures of different people from um, different backgrounds and whatnot, and I had my students characterize them. Characterization was a, a, a good chunk of the sixth grade curriculum. And um, what I noticed, of course, immediately was the black male and the white male, where the differences. And I had them do personality traits and friends and and what what you love and fear, all different things. But the job was what jumped out at me immediately. And um, so in, in, we didn't address it directly, but we did a lot of like I had a lot of curriculum in place, a multicultural book mm -hmm. report where kids would put themselves in somebody else's shoes. And biographies that were, you know, carefully just selected to represent a lot of different cultures, and maybe move a little bit beyond Dr. Martin Luther King, somebody maybe lesser well known, but, mm. and um, you know, just ha after having all of that in place, the kids whose um, stereotype typing went down the most drastically was the white children, mm. and I thought that that was really interesting that, you know, I, I was had something in place. You know, for an entirely different reason, that the benefit went very strong, and it kind of makes sense mm -hmm. too when you stop to think about it, because the white kids aren't necessarily seeing the people of color in those positions mm -hmm. either, mm -hmm. and so um, you know, it was it was important across the board mm. to do these kind of lessons. It benefited all of the kids, mm. but it also empowered me as a white teacher mm. that okay, <laughs> it makes sense for you know. I, I have a, a role in dismantling some of these stereotypes that are in place. Do you, 
do you find that students are generally pretty receptive to having those kinds of conversations? They love it. Hmm. Um, I, I actually did, I had a, um, a question on another survey where I asked that. And there were some kids that were new to There were very, very few kids that were. And, you know, we didn't make them very intimidating conversations along the lines of what we would say for our bullying kind of um, program, anti-bullying program that we have in school. But the most interesting thing was after having these conversations, I, I um, measured their, the responses to questions like that in November and then again in April. And, um, and I asked them if they were comfortable talking about these issues. And, then, and the kids that were um, agreed or strongly agreed, then there was a huge shift too strongly agreed that they were comfortable talking about mm. them by the end of the year. Mm. And mm. I think, you know, they're having these conversations. I think it's, it's a lot more difficult for adults, <laughs> too. I mean, they're seeing mm. it in, in movies and, you know. Yeah. Do you think teachers see it as part of their responsibility to address issues of culture in class? Because that's, that's something we're trying to get at. Like, I think so, a lot of teachers are like, well, that's not, I'm a math teacher, I'm a science teacher, that's not part of my job. That's not what I need to do. Mm. Do you, what do you think of that? How do you how do you all respond to that sort of that claim? I think it is the responsibility of teachers mm-hmm. to talk about diversity because we're we have classrooms now that are very diverse. Like for my school, um, our Hispanic population is increasing, mm-hmm. um, and we have students that. Um, are transient to the to the area, and then we have students living in um, homes that are, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, and so just the diversity coming into the school build, building every day, it is our responsibility to talk about this mm-hmm. so that um, kids understand that although. Um, we have our differences, we're all the same in terms of coming together, treating each other with respect, um, and, you know, just coming to learn and Mm -hmm. and to grow. Um, And so it it is the responsibility of the teacher. Um, We're there to teach content, yes, but we're also there to teach other things. Mm -hmm. And um, I think touching on diversity in some way, shape, form, or fashion is um, something we need to do because when I think of uh, my students, I want the students that they're going to be around to accept them for who they are, where they are, and the abilities that they're bringing in. Mm -hmm. So yes, um, it's a responsibility of the teachers to do that. But but I think it's, you're asking if it's, if teachers feel comfortable or if they feel like that's part of their job. I, I think that teachers, by and large, all want to do the best for all of the kids that they have in their classroom, but I, I do think that that is an issue that needs professional development mm-hmm. because a lot of people will, there, there's a good bit of literature out there um, and research saying, you know, uh, teachers may say, oh, well, I'm colorblind. And that, and that is definitely yeah. not the approach to take. But if right. you don't know what else to do, mm. I can see that happening, you know, in a lot of, of situations mm. where, you know, you, but you can't. You can't right. be colorblind. You need to have uh, some knowledge and you need to, to understand how to make that work. Right, and I, I think that 
is a part of building the relationships with your students coming in with the diversity that's coming in and building their the relationships understanding their background and knowing where they're coming from and their experiences I think that you know is is something that needs to happen and until that starts you know happening um, at a level where children um, actually feel as if their teacher wants to really know about them as mm-hmm. a person you know I, I think that's where you know, once kids feel that they matter, mm-hmm. then, you know. Well, and I think, I think something that, Cindy, that your project addressed that I think is related to what you're saying about students needing to feel comfortable with their teachers, I think mm-hmm. teachers are also responsible for facilitating um, students feeling comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that sometimes that's a, that's a hard part of a teacher's job when we know that students, particularly as they get into middle school, tend to like not want to reach out across right. groups that they identify as being different from them. That's, those are not my people. Um, and I think that teachers definitely have a responsibility to, to address that and facilitate that for the sake of their students being good human beings, but mm-hmm. also for the sake of learning and for the sake of recognizing the strengths of another student that they might not previously have, have, have recognized. And I think, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, that's hard for a teacher to address. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard. I think that requires professional development. Those are not natural or easy conversations to have it's hard to know how to plan for that I think it definitely requires yeah it does require PD. PD, but it, it also raises this question like when, when you put the put forth the idea is that my job well in a way it's not your job because my job's been defined as delivering this content mm-hmm. I'm being held accountable sure. for doing these standards and creating this pacing guide and these are the metrics and sort of like and the PD I'm getting is about meeting those metrics and so your job like the formal work roles that you have is written into your contract don't necessarily include, you know, creating a, you know, there might be some language towards creating a good classroom environment, but not necessarily kind of directly addressing right. and um, working through, like, like, you don't have learning, standards of learning around building sort of like a culturally diverse classroom that's, you know, that's a healthy community mm-hmm. or things like that. And so um, maybe, maybe part of it is about, part of it's definitely about PD, but part of it's also about maybe we need to rethink the structure of teachers' work roles in order to incorporate this and make this a kind of an essential part of what we do is within schools. Mm-hmm. Because you think about the tendency of, of students, especially as they get older, to sort of like to, to, to move into their groups and to create their, their, their teams. And then we look at the world around us now and we say, don't we need to be doing better at school? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's that. completely where we're, that's where we are now. You know, mm-hmm. we need to think about how, how do we, um, you know, teach people teach students to learn how to negotiate difference mm. in ways that are healthy and, you know, in that, that build, build community. That's so important. Well, one of the, one of the articles that I read um, described it as a pyramid of prejudice and that the, the, of course, at the very top, the smallest group of people are, you know, the, the horrific offenders. And, and, but as you move down to the base of that pyramid, it's the little microaggressions that occur over, you know, and there are just so many of them, and that you can't topple something like prejudice or racism until you begin to crumble the bottom of the pyramid, mm-hmm. right, to get at it from, from the bottom up. So I think, you know, just recognizing that even if it comes across as a little thing, it's super important in, in terms of toppling mm-hmm. Racism and prejudice. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Cindy, while you're on a roll here, <laughs> I think we've already touched a lot on what some of the, the challenges are that we're um, finding with the, the increase in like our, our schools becoming more diverse, but we've also framed this as there's a lot of opportunity with this. Cindy, why don't you talk to us about um, what opportunities does increasing cultural diversity present for teachers? Um, well, I think with teachers, one of the first things uh, that might be a little bit of a challenge is to acknowledge that we all have bias mm -hmm. and, um, and recognize our bias and start to look at our, what we do in our classroom, the way we speak, what we have hanging on the wall, the books on our shelves. We have to look at everything that we bring into a room that's used by many different kinds of people that it reflects our bias and be very um, aware of that. I think that these kind of conversations can make people very uncomfortable um, and at first and uh, it takes a while to begin to open eyes but once the eyes are open you do start to notice well, you know all the the bad guys in these movies are all, you know are always people of color you know you start to, to see the, co the covers of books you know at the book fair most of these are white people and you start to notice it everywhere when you didn't see it at first or you know thinking about even you know who's selected to get awards for character or who you know who gets picked to be like you said in the other studies to be put into gifted or get mm -hmm. to take advanced math and it just starts to show up everywhere um, I think the opportunity for teachers, I came across, I learned this has become my favorite word in the whole wide world, but I, I did not know this word, and the word is allophilia, and I love this word because this word means love of otherness, love of otherness, and it didn't exist. Um, it, it was invented by Professor Todd Kudinski of Harvard, and he could not find a word that meant the opposite of prejudice. Mm -hmm. He, he um, and, and tolerance comes up, but tolerance is not the opposite. Tolerance still has that hierarchy of, I'm better than you, therefore I'm going to tolerate you. Whereas allophilia, he was trying to explain um, during the Holocaust what, why people would put their own lives at risk mm -hmm. to benefit another group of people. And so that's when he came up with this word. Mm -hmm. And allophilia is expressed in affection and comfort, engagement, enthusiasm, and kinship for others. And um, really being able to not just put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but enjoy walking around in their shoes as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an opportunity for teachers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just after just doing something small in my classroom this year and just seeing the impact that that had and the smiles in the kids, all of them, and, you know, realizing, oh, boy, I've had kids come through my room for years that might not have had that same connection because they worked really Hard and and it wasn't even hard actually mm -hmm. I say that but it was it was a very natural kinship extension mm -hmm. and I think that that's a tremendous opportunity and it was so important because every thing that I ever remember learning in grad school or whatever about teaching is that you need a, a child needs to feel connected to at least one person in a building um, in a school to achieve academic success and to you know be comfortable in and, and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there, there are more ways than we can do it when we realize. I'm picturing somebody listening to this and Googling allophilia. Can <laughs> <laughs> you spell that for our Sure, A-L-L-O, mm -hmm. which I think is 
of other, philia, love of, P-H-I-L-I-A. So mm. A-L-L-O-P-H-I-L-I-A, love of otherness. Mm. Great word. Mm, we all learned something. Um, Hillary, why don't you talk about what's up next for this project? What are our next steps? Sure. So the action research project is kind of winding down, and the action researchers are going to present their final um, projects to the Merck community in June. And in the meantime, we're working on our research brief that will be available on the Merck website that presents some of the diversity mapping work that we mentioned earlier of the um, changes in the schools and school divisions in the Merck region uh, along different lines of race, socioeconomic status, ability. And then um, that research brief will also include s some more context of the historical backgrounds of some of the demographic changes in Richmond, as well as the policy context that shape professional development related to cultural diversity, and also a review of the literature on empirical work on uh, the impacts of cultural diversity, professional development on teachers and students, um, studies that have been done around the U.S. and in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll be available on the Merck website. Um, we also, as Jesse mentioned in the fall, are conducting a survey, hopefully to all of the school professionals in the Merck region, to get a better sense of their perspectives on diversity and the supports and barriers they experience in promoting cultural um, uh, success among culturally diverse students. And then we plan to con uh, follow up that survey with some qualitative case studies to look a little deeper into the impacts that local professional development programs have on teachers and students around the Merck region. So mm -hmm. we have a lot more still to come. So if you're interested in this, there's lots of different ways to engage with the, the research and with these awesome action researchers. We're going to have those interviews that will be posted on there so you can listen more about that. I know you guys are doing posters for your presentations, so that's going to be exciting. Maybe we can put the posters up there too. <laughs> lots of ways to get engaged with this. Um, we're going to have to leave this here for now, but if you're interested in this topic, uh, like Hillary was talking about, you can keep up to date on the progress of this Merck study by visiting our website at merc.soe.vcu.edu, that's m-e-r-c.soe.vcu.edu, and clicking on Professional Development for Success in Culturally Diverse Schools under Current Projects. There you will find information about this study, including background information, previous podcast episodes, and a link to Tableau Maps of Demographic Changes in the Merck region. Uh, we will also have individual interviews with our action research teachers on this page uh, coming soon, so stay tuned for that. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we hope that you'll share this episode with anyone you believe could benefit from joining our discussion. We are eager to bring them to the table with us. You can uh, access Abstract on the Merck website as well as on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher now. That's exciting. We're on Stitcher. Uh, we hope that you'll subscribe and leave some feedback on any of these platforms. Our next episode will feature a discussion with faculty and students from Code RVA Regional High School, which is an innovative new school in Richmond. We're excited about that. You can also sign up for our email listserv and our, on our website and follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date on all things Merck. Um, our thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck, to Jesse Seneschal for his fearless direction, to Kyle Yoga Muffin Rudd for our super cool theme music, uh, to the wonderful and talented Tracy Naff for our logo design, and to all of our partnering school divisions, Chesterfield, Colonial Heights, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Powhatan, and Richmond. Uh, our thanks today to Salida Wilson, Cindy Sinanian, Jenny Smith, and Hillary Parkhouse for sharing their perspectives with us. And of course, thanks to all the teachers, researchers, students, parents, school leaders, policymakers, 
and other stakeholders in public education, including you, for joining our conversation today. We hope that we will continue to find ways to capitalize on the opportunity of increasing diversity in our schools. My name is David Knapp, and this has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues in public education. Let's talk again soon.